Hello and welcome back to today's podcast. So today I have uh, part one of two of Neville Goddard's uh, lesson five, his fifth lecture called Remain Faithful to Your Idea. And this is the last of the lectures that I have for him that he did in 1948. So let's get started again. This is part one of two called Remain Faithful to Your Idea. Okay, so Neville tells his audience, Tonight we have the fifth and last lesson in this course. First, I shall give you a sort of summary of what has gone before. Then, since so many of you have asked me to elaborate further on lesson three, I shall give you a few more ideas on thinking fourth dimensionally. I know that when a man sees a thing clearly, he can tell it, he can explain it. This past winter in Barbados, a fisherman whose vocabulary could, would not encompass a thousand words told me more in five minutes about the behavior of the dolphin than Shakespeare with his vast vocabulary could have told me if he did not know the habits of the dolphin. The fisherman told me how the dolphin loves to play on a piece of driftwood and in order to catch him, you throw this wood out and bait him as you would have bait or as you would bait children because he likes to pretend he is getting out of the water. As I said, this man's vocabulary was very limited, but he knew his fish, and he knew the sea. Because he knew his dolphin, he could tell me all about their habits and how to catch them. When you say you know a thing, but you cannot explain it, I say you do not know it, for when you really know it, you naturally express it. If I should ask you now to divine prayer and say to you, how would you, through prayer, go about realizing an objective, any objective? If you could tell me, then you know it. But if you cannot tell me, then you do not know it. When you see it clearly in the mind's eye, the greater you will inspire the words which are necessary to clothe the idea and express it beautifully. And you will express the idea far better than a man with a vast vocabulary who does not see it as clearly as you do. If you have listened carefully throughout the past four days, you know now that the Bible has no reference at all to any persons that ever existed or to any events that ever occurred upon earth. The authors of the Bible were not writing history. They were writing a great drama of the mind, which they dressed up in the garb of history, and then adapted it to the limited capacity of the uncritical, unthinking masses. You know that every story in the Bible is your story, that when the writers that when the writers introduce dozens of characters in the same story, they are trying to present you with different attributes of the mind that you may employ. You saw it as I took perhaps a dozen or more stories and, and, and interpreted them for you. For instance, many, many people wonder how Jesus, the most gracious, the most loving man in the world, if he be man, could say to his mother, what he is supposed to have said to her, as recorded in the second chapter of the, of the Gospel of St. John. Jesus is made to say to his mother, Woman, what have I to do with thee? John 2, 4. You and I, who are not yet identified with the ideal we serve, would not make such a statement to our mother. Yet here was the embodiment of love saying to his mother, Woman, what have I to do with thee? You are Jesus, and your mother is your own consciousness. For consciousness is the cause of all, therefore it is the great father-mother of all phenomena. You and I are creatures of habit. 
We get into the habit of accepting as final the evidence of our senses. Wine is needed for the guest, and my senses tell me that there is no wine. And I, through habit, am about to accept this lack as final. When I remember that my consciousness is the one and only reality, therefore, if I deny the evidence of my senses and assume the consciousness of having sufficient wine, I have, in a sense, rebuked my mother or the consciousness which suggested lack. And by assuming the consciousness of having what I desire for my guests, wine is produced in a way we do not know. I have just read a note here from a dear friend of mine in the audience. Last Sunday, he had an appointment at church for a wedding. The clock told him he was late. Everything told him he was late. He was standing on a street corner waiting for a streetcar. There was none in sight. He imagined that, instead of being on the street corner, that he was in the church. At that moment, a car stopped in front of him. My friend told the driver of his predicament, and the driver said to him, I am not going that way, but I will take you there. My friend got into the car and was at the church in time for the service. That is applying the law correctly. Non-acceptance of the suggestion of lateness. Never accept the suggestion of lack. In this case, I say to myself, what have I to do with thee? What have I to do with the evidence of my senses? Bring me all the pots and fill them. In other words, I assume that I have wine and all that I desire. Then my dimensionally greater self inspires in all. The thoughts and the actions which aid the embodiment of my assumption. It is not a man saying to a mother, woman, what have I to do with thee? It is every man who knows this law who will say to himself, when his senses suggest lack, what have I to do with thee? Get behind me. I will never listen again to a voice like that, because if I do, then I am impregnated by that suggestion, and I will bear the fruit of lack. We turn to another story in the Gospel of St. Mark, where Jesus is hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of the heavenly or of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Mark eleven thirteen fourteen. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Mark eleven twenty. What tree am I blasting? Not a tree on the outside. It is my own consciousness. I am the vine. John five fifteen one. My consciousness, my I amness, is the great tree, and habit once more suggests emptiness. It suggests barrenness. It suggests four months before I can feast, but I cannot wait four months. I give myself this powerful suggestion that never again will I even for a moment relive or relieve that it will take four months to realize my desire. The belief in lack must from this day on be barren and never again reproduce itself in my mind. It is not a man blasting a tree. Everything in the Bible takes place in the mind of man. The tree, the city, the people, everything. There is not a statement made in the Bible that does not represent some attribute of the human mind. They are all personifications of the mind and not things within this world. Consciousness is the one and only reality. There is no one to whom we can turn after we discover that our own awareness is God. 
for God is the cause of all, and there is nothing but God. You cannot say that the devil causes some things and God others. Listen to these words. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him, and I will lose the lions or I will lose the loins of kings, to open before him the two leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut asunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. Isaiah 45, 1, 2, and 3. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and I create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Isaiah 45, 7. I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their host have I commanded. I have raised him up in righteousness, and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city, and he shall let go my captives. Not for price nor reward, saith the Lord of hosts. Isaiah forty-five, twelve, and 13. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. Isaiah forty-five, five. Read these words carefully. They are not my words. They are the inspired words of men who discovered that consciousness is the only reality. If I am hurt, I am self-hurt. If there is darkness in my world, I created the darkness and the gloom and the depression. If there is light and joy, I created the light and the joy. There is no one but this I amness that does all. You cannot find a cause outside of your own consciousness. Your world is a grand mirror constantly telling you who you are. As you meet people, they tell you by their behavior who you are. Your prayers will not be less devout because you turn to your own consciousness for help. I do not think that any person in prayer feels more of the joy, the piety, and the feeling of adoration than I do when I feel thankful. As I assume the feeling of my wish fulfilled, knowing at the same time it is to myself that I turned. In prayer, you are called upon to believe that you possess what your reason and your senses deny. When you pray, believe that you have and you shall receive. The Bible states it this way. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Mark eleven twenty four through 26. That is what we must do when we pray. If I hold something against another, be it a belief of sickness, poverty, or anything else, I must lose it and let it go. Not by using words of denial, but by believing him to be what he desires to be. And that way, I completely forgive him. I changed my concept of him. I had fought against him, and I forgave him. Complete forgetfulness is forgiveness. If I do not forget, then I have not forgiven. I only forgive something when I truly forget. I can say to you, until the end of time, I forgive you. But if every time I see you or think of you, I am reminded of what I held against you, I have not forgiven you at all. Forgiveness is complete forgetfulness. You go to a doctor and he gives you something for your sickness. He is trying to take it from you, so he gives you something in place of it. 
Give yourself a new concept of self for the old concept. Give up the old concept completely. A prayer granted implies that something is done in consequence of the prayer which otherwise will not have been done. Therefore, I myself am the spring of action. The directing mind and the one who grants the prayer. Anyone who prays successfully turns within and appropriates the, the, the state sought. You have no sacrifice to offer. Do not let anyone tell you that you must struggle and suffer. You need not struggle for the realization of your desire. Read what it says in the Bible. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat and the fat of fed beasts, and I, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of the goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required that at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain obligate bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Isaiah 1, 11-14 Ye shall have a song as in the night when a holy solemnity is kept and gladness of heart, as when one goeth with a pipe to come into the mountain of the Lord, to the mighty one of Israel, Isaiah thirty twenty nine. Sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise from this end of earth, Isaiah forty two ten. Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout ye lower parts of the earth, break forth into singing, ye mountains, O forest, and every tree therein, for the Lord hath redeemed, or the Lord hath redeemed Jacob, and glorified himself in Israel. Isaiah forty four twenty three. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing in, unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Isaiah fifty one eleven. The only acceptable gift is a joyful heart. Come with singing and praise. That is the way to come before the Lord, your own consciousness. Assume the feeling of your wish fulfilled, and you have brought the only acceptable gift. All states of mind other than that of the wish fulfilled are an abomination. They are superstition and mean nothing. When you come before me, rejoice, because rejoicing implies that something has happened, which you desired. Come before me singing, giving praise, and giving thanks. For these states of mind imply acceptance of the state sought. Put yourself in the proper mood and your consciousness will embody it. If I could find prayer for anyone and put it just as clearly as I could, I would simply say, it is the feeling of the wish fulfilled. If you ask, what do you mean by that? I would say, I would feel myself into the situation of the answered prayer, and then I would live and act upon that conviction. I would try to sustain it without effort, that is. I would live and act as though it were already a fact, knowing that as I walk in this fixed attitude, my assumption will harden into fact. Time does not permit me to go any further into the argument of that Bible, or uh, into the argument that the Bible is not history. But if you have listened attentively to my message these past four nights, I do not think you want any more proof that the Bible is not history. 
Apply what you have heard, and you will realize your desires. And now I have told you before it come to pass that that when it comes to pass, ye may ye might believe it. John fourteen twenty nine. Many persons, myself included, have observed events before they occurred. That is, before they occurred in this world of three dimensions. Since man can observe an event before it occurs in the three dimensions of space, then life on earth proceeds according to plan, and this plan must exist elsewhere in another dimension and is slowly moving through our space. If the occurring events were not in this world when they were observed, then to be perfectly logical, they must have been out of this world, and whatever is there to be seen before it occurs here must be predetermined from the point of view of man awake in a three-dimensional world. Yet the ancient teachers taught us that we could alter the future, and my own experience confirms the truth of their teaching. Therefore, my object in giving this course is to indicate possibilities inherent in man, to show that man can alter his future. But thus altered, it forms against a deterministic sequence, starting from the point of interference, a future that will be consistent with the alteration. The most remarkable feature of man's future is its flexibility. The future, although prepared in advance in every detail, has several outcomes. We have at every moment of our lives the choice before us which of several futures we will have. There are two actual outlooks on the world possessed by everyone a natural focus, and a spiritual focus. The ancient teachers called the one the criminal mind and the other the mind of Christ. We may differentiate them as ordinary, waking consciousness governed by our senses and a controlled imagination governed by desire. We recognize these two distinct centers of thought in the statement, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned, 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural view confines reality to the moment called now. To the natural view, the past and future are purely imaginary. The spiritual view, on the other hand, sees the contents of time. The past and future are a present whole to the spiritual view. What is mental and subjective to the natural mind is concrete and objective to the spiritual man. The habit of seeing only that which our senses permit renders us totally blind to what, otherwise, we could see. To cultivate the faculty of seeing the invisible, we should often deliberately disentangle our minds from the evidence of the senses and focus our attention on an invisible state, mentally feeling it and sensing it until it has all the distinctness of reality. Earnest, concentrated thought, focused in a particular direction, shuts out other sensations and causes them to disappear. We have only to concentrate on the state desired in order to see it. The habit of withdrawing attention from the region of sensation and concentrating it on the invisible de develops our spiritual outlook and enables us to penetrate beyond the world of sense and to see that which is invisible. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Romans 1.20 This vision is completely independent of the natural faculties. Open it and quicken it. A little practice will convince us that we can, by controlling our imagination, reshape our future in harmony with our desire. Desire is the mainspring of action. We could not move a single finger unless we had a desire to move it. No matter what we do, we follow the desire which at the moment dominates our minds. When we break a habit, our desire to break it is greater than our desire to continue the habit. 
The desires which impel us to action are those which hold our attention. A desire is but an awareness of something we lack and need to make our life more enjoyable. Desires always have some personal gain in view. The greater the anticipated gain, the more intense is the desire. There's no absolutely unselfish desire. Where there's nothing to gain, there's no desire, and consequently no action. The spiritual man speaks to the natural man through the language of desire. The key to progress in life and to the fulfillment of desires or the fulfillment of dreams lies in ready obedience to its voice. Unhesitating obedience to its voice is an immediate assumption of the wish fulfilled. To desire a state is to have it. As Pascal has said, you would not have sought me had you not already found me. Man, by assuming the feeling of his wish fulfilled and then living and acting on this conviction, alters the future in harmony with his assumption. Assumptions awaken what they affirm. As soon as man assumes the feeling of his wish fulfilled, his fourth-dimensional self finds ways for the attainment of this end, discovers discovers methods for its realization. I know of no clearer definition of the means by which we realize our desires than to experience in the imagination what we would experience in the flesh were we to achieve our goal. This imaginary experience of the end with acceptance wills the means. The fourth dimensional self then constructs with its larger outlook the means necessary to realize the accepted end. The undisciplined mind finds it difficult to assume a state which is denied by the senses, but here's a technique that makes it easy to call things which are not seen as though they were. That is, to encounter an event before it occurs. People have a habit of sliding the importance of simple things, but the simple formula for changing the future was discovered after years of searching and experimenting. Okay, so that was the end of part one, or the end of part one of Neville Goddard's lecture. Remain faithful to your idea. So next, um, in the next podcast, I will continue with part two, and uh, we'll go over the steps uh, that Neville Goddard starts to mention here in part one of the podcast. Okay, thank you so much for joining me, and I will see you in the next podcast.